Hello, welcome back to the Sexy Scary Book Club. Um, we're back in the fever world. We're talking about book four, Dream Fever. Um, hi, Jessica. Hi. <laughs> I'm here. I'm being, I know it's like I'm being very quiet, but I am here. Um, yeah, I was just saying before we pressed record that there's, I feel like a lot happens in this so book. Much. Yes. Especially strange because, and we'll get into it in a minute, but kind of as far as moving the, the plot forward of the story, nothing happens for a while. Because mm -hmm. um, Max, you know, kind of out of commission, as it were. But then it's like putting the gas down, like pedal to the metal after that. I feel yeah. like there's just a lot of plot that happens. There's tons um, of plot in this book and like tons yeah. of stuff kind of, you get more, it gets more in depth. Um, so like you do, you start to get answers, but you also just get more questions. Like I feel like anytime you learn more about a character, it leads to more questions. So <laughs> so we, we pick up where we left off, right? We're right back in the rape. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we didn't. We didn't get too much into that last time, but I feel like the focus on, you know, we we come back in in Max's perspective and she's kind of becoming Priya, yeah. essentially, in that, in that passage. And we get a lot more of her talking about the mysterious fourth. So she right. knows she's being raped for sure by three of the unseelie princes because she saw three of them. Um but she talks a lot about this mysterious fourth that she can't see. Um, and then she just sort of kind of slips into oblivion. Um, she becomes Priya. Mm -hmm. And and then we, we hear from Danny. We start getting a Danny narrative. Which, uh, which I hate. You. you hate? Oh, man. So this time around, I didn't hate it as much because now... I know Danny. So I have, you know, I feel a little bit better about Danny and Danny's voice. But when I was first reading this book, I was just like, I don't want to hear Danny. Like, I need to hear more about Mac. Are we getting to Barron's? Like, you know, like, <laughs> I felt like Danny was just this like, hiccup that was in the way. And I just would like, kind of skim over anything that she had to say. Yeah, well, I mean, it is jarring in this instance, because you're right in the middle of this super traumatic, dramatic plot point and then yeah. all of a sudden you're snatched away from your main character and it's like oh hi I'm gonna take over the story for a while and it's like what no what's right and it's like <laughs> what's a going on with my old girl and she's like oh hey Thekers how's it going la 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 and like, I'm just like I'm not feeling this right now right yeah um yeah but you know I will say I think that this this book we we get to learn a lot more about Danny and we really start to see the relationship between Mac and Danny start to grow. Right. Um, but, you know, we'll get back to that because I think that this is the book, for better or worse, that everybody's been waiting for because finally again, Mac and Barron's finally get it on. <laughs> um, right? Which, you know, I guess... Was, is problematic. I mean, I don't guess. I know it is problematic. I totally can understand why people find find it problematic. Um, but 
it's also super sexy and hot and like but just I remember that part of the book very well um from the other times when I've read it um I think because of what I was talking about before too is it's it's you get to see Barons with his walls down again and that doesn't happen very often and you get to see this kind of playful and caring nature about him right you know what's so funny is that i (laughs) you're like yeah i always remember like that scene more or whatever i i don't necessarily remember that i just always remember the nine storming into the abbey to get mac like i don't know why that's always left such an impact on me i'm like oh yeah this is the book the nine are coming (laughs) but like obviously like you know as a reader you're waiting and waiting and waiting for mac and barons to finally connect right Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they do but it's like it feels so it pissed me off because i'm like but she's not really there like they're not really together this is priya mac and barons like it's not it was really frustrating for me i hated it (laughs) yeah yeah no i get that i get that um i think that that is like a, a big frustration at later on after she's come back to herself I guess if there's a better way to say that she's she's overcome the the Priya state um and then you want them to come together again like and they don't she like runs off and I, I don't know this is where the book really annoys me because I feel like I'm always been pretty like pro Mac like I'm always been the one to defend her and be like it's okay she's a rainbow girl it's okay you know like she's grieving like all this stuff is going on this book she bugs me so much because she just goes on and on and on and she tells you all about like pretty much like she's got everyone figured out now and she's got all their motivations figured out but she's wrong and she's also like really like stubborn about seeing faults in herself and seeing what she's actually about and like what her motivations are like she's all about Rowena is out you know is manipulating the the she sears but like I don't feel like her intentions are any better um and she just i don't know she really she makes a lot of assumptions like she talks about the dark lake in her and how all the she seers have this and it's not accurate but you know like it just she really really bugs me in this book and it makes me crazy because this is my favorite book out of the entire series really okay i was gonna say i feel like i can tell which books are your favorites because no, you read them not. really quickly, and this right? one you didn't read very quickly. So this is the one that pisses me off because it is. There's so much about it I love, and so much about it that does make it my favorite. But it is the most annoyed I'm ever with Mac. Well, I can't say that. There's some other books down the road. That, like she starts to bug me. Um, but yeah, this one is really like I just want to get to the meat of the story, and you do. You get a lot, a lot of information. Like you get awesome stuff. You get to meet like Chester's. You get to see more of Blaine. I think that the idea that there is this love triangle between Barons, Mac, and Blaine is set up much more. You see like a softness in Barons, but also in Blaine. Um, you get to know more about the Lord Master. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes on. I love that you get to see what Dublin is like after the walls have fallen um, and kind of what comes out of that and like, you know, what the general population starts to kind of evolve into. Um, mm-hmm. there's so much good here you get to go into the fate like the world of the fae more um you get to see i mean i'm jumping way ahead but like you go into fairy and you see so much cool stuff and you learn so much cool stuff but then at the same time mac just like 
gets on my nerves so much. And like, it does it. Sometimes you're just like bogged down in all of this, like inner turmoil and thought and writing and narrative. And I'm just like, Oh my God, just like get to it because I know there's so much good stuff in here. So it really frustrates me. (laughs) I think that I agree with you. I agree with you. I think a lot of people I noticed when, when I was looking for reviews were making a big point about how they're so sick of writers um, using rape or sexual assault to be the thing that makes their characters stronger afterwards. Um, But personally, I don't feel like I've read that many stories that have had rape in them. Um, So I can't really comment to that. But I also think they're kind of getting it wrong because I think what this is, is this is Mac thinking that she is so much stronger now because this happened to her. And I think that a lot of her attitude is real bravado because that is the way that she's coping. She has to, she has to believe that this thing made her stronger so that now she can kind of pack it up and put it away and she doesn't have to deal with it. It's just a thing that happened. And, you know, now she's, what does she call herself? Mac 2.0. Yeah. Now she likes black and red. So she's a badass, which I think is so dumb. Yeah. But I don't (laughs) think that that's real. And I think that her, all of those false assumptions that she's making are kind of the, reader's proof of that right that she's you know kind of trying to rush through her healing um, right and i think she is supposed to annoy you oh yeah for um, sure but it's interesting because i feel like a lot of like in reviews that i've read people hate mac in the beginning and this is the time period where they start to kind of like her and the, for me it's the opposite like you know, she wasn't my favorite in the beginning, but I liked her. And like this book, I'm just like, oh, girl, like <laughs> she just really starts to bug me. And I think it's like you said, like, it's part of this like bravado and like just recognizing that she's just full of BS and it's making me crazy. <laughs> Having that said, I can completely understand why she reacted toward Barron's the way that she did when she came out of it, because that yeah. would be a really complicated um, I don't want to say scenario, but like when you meet up again, that is going to be a really awkward or, you know, what kind of emotions am I supposed to have about this? You know, like on one hand, thank you, I guess, because if you hadn't did what you did, I would be, I would have died. Like there's, you know, I, that's the long and short of it. You know, I mean, say what you want about barons and again, this is, this is a very specific fantasy scenario that you would never encounter in real life. But say what you want to say about Barons, like he could have fucked her any time. He could have fucked her any time. Because I think if he would have like came on to her or tried to like seduce her at yeah. any time before this, I think she would have fallen for it. I, I think she would have when when he threatened to tattoo her if 
he had gone through with it and she got hot and bothered by that for whatever reason. He played <laughs> that out in your head. Like what would have happened if he did that to her? Because if well, of he course was I did. me, I know what would have happened. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I think if he would have like, forgive my fra- turn of phrase, but inserted himself in that fashion, <laughs> that he could have made it happen at any time. Point is that he... He wouldn't have done this if at that time in their story together if it hadn't been necessary for her survival. Right. Does that mean he didn't enjoy himself? Of course not. I mean, we get glimpses of of what this process is like for him and how you can tell that he's... Tub thumping? (laughs) Yes. You can tell that he's um, maybe wanting to also draw it out a little bit longer than is needed. As, As she is. As she makes that comment about how, you know, she wakes up in the room and she looks at the handcuffs and she thinks for a minute, what if I pretend? pretend. Yeah, that I'm not myself again for a little while longer. Um, But I think that, I don't think this would have happened if she hadn't been turned Priya. Right. So. And he ultimately did save her. Yes. He's always said that he would He always does. Yep. Um. So, you know, again, take it, take it for what it is. Take it in context of this being a very specific, um, you know, affliction that she's suffering from as the result of being raped by fairies. And then big sexy man fucks you back to sanity. (laughs) Yeah. And like, sorry, that's hot. Um, Totally hot. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like... (sighs) Look, when I when I read people's complaints about this being like the glorification of abuse, essentially, I, I start to find myself a little bit like sympathetic um, toward people who maybe get uncomfortable when their when their beliefs are being challenged or their you know opinions on things are being challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I can see what's problematic about it, and I'm I'm attuned to that, and and I 100% agree with it. But at the same time, like I'm turned on by it, you know. And then I have to like kind of reconcile within myself why that is, or you know, right. find myself maybe trying to make that okay. Um, but I also think that. I don't know. I mean, like, maybe that can be okay. Because I don't know, like, maybe this is like a kind of a safe place, you know, where you can, you can kind of get those ideas about love and sex and romance confused and, and explore kind of like the darker, like urges within yourself that Mm -hmm. might not be there because of like healthy things that you've encountered in your life but like this is a fictional world that maybe it's like okay to explore those because it doesn't have any consequence for how you are approaching your relationships in your real life and it shouldn't like maybe those two things can like exist independent from one another and I can certainly understand why other people who maybe are in a different 
part of their healing journey with their feelings on love and sex and, and romance. Mm-hmm. Um, they might be allowing those those things to kind of eke into their real life experiences. And I can see how that is is not great, how that's problematic. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily think that fiction needs to take responsibility for things in society that aren't healthy. Right. I don't know. I don't know either. I struggle with this so much (laughs) because like, I definitely like we've talked about this. I love this concept of an alpha male that comes in and he kind of treats you a little shitty, but um, he's always there. He always protects you. And like, he's kind of like the big bad that's always going to be there for you and always have your back. Even if he has this like, you know, side that maybe isn't entirely human or whatever we like to say. Um, But I don't know, like like you, there's part of me that recognizes like that's not a healthy relationship, but that doesn't mean that I don't like it, that it doesn't speak to me, that, you know, like you said, it doesn't turn me on because it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I don't think it's fair, like also for like me to sit there and think like, oh, something must be terribly wrong with me because this does turn me on. Like I can still be like a healed, fully formed person and enjoy this. So like, I don't know, it's hard. I don't know. Like you said, I don't know where, maybe I am fucked up. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I think my point is that we all are. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of this book and the characters too. Like, we're all fucked up. We're all fucked up. Like, we all live lives and shit happens. And I I feel like Barons in this book he does do some things that I'm like, ooh, yeah. You know, like I he does throw the rape in her face. He like yeah. makes jokes about like haven't you had enough you know fairy in your mouth or something like that. There's a couple jokes he makes about the rape and I I thought like, you know, okay, even for barons like that's kind of hitting below the belt. Mm-hmm. Um but I what I do think is you're starting to see in this book, more than the ones that have come before, you're starting to see that Mac is maybe becoming a bit of a weakness for him. Yeah. Well, and the fact that he did make those low blows and he did react that way shows that Mac is having an effect on him that, you know, people don't typically have because he's typically super controlled and, you know, he would just walk away or ignore her or, you know, give her a lesson or I don't know. Like, it wouldn't be, he's reacting. Mm-hmm. Like he's hurt and he's reacting, which is not something we've seen in Barons before. Even the fact that he was waiting for her at the Abbey. I felt like that was really interesting because I don't think he's ever really waited for her before. No, unless he's had like, he needs her for something. (laughs) Like, you know, like there's something he wants to investigate nearby. Yeah, but I felt like, I don't know, that scene. Well, of course, you know, you're waiting for that scene. Where they come together again after she's, you know, come back from being Priya. Yeah. And it takes forever to get there. Oh my All God, you forever. want them to do is come back together. But I found that scene to be really, huh, like, kind of knocks the wind out of you a little bit. I think it's it's sad in a sense. Because it's like these people that were finally intimate with each other. And now they just don't know how to their dynamic has changed 
Well, but then it doesn't because they go back to Miss Lane and Barons because that's where everything's safe and they can understand that. Like, yeah. But I like how he's, you know, he says, you know, she steals his guns. She steals yeah. his guns so that she can bring them to the Abbey and give them to the she seers, and that will sort of like endear her to them, um, make them trust her. Um, but I just found that so like, oh, when he says, you know, you didn't have to steal them, I would have given them to you. Yeah. And it's like, you could tell like he felt hurt. He felt hurt yeah. that after all of that, she still felt like she had to steal for them. She still doesn't from him. She still doesn't know that he's, you know, all she needs to do is tell him what she wants and likely he'll give it to her. Um, I don't know. I just felt like that was like, oh, <laughs> right. No, there's a couple of moments in this book where like Baron's like, he kind of, he guts the, my heart a little bit. <laughs> I was just like, ow, <laughs> that, that was, that was ouchy. <laughs> What are some other things that happen in this book? So, you know, she comes back from being Priya. She gets into the whole stuff at the Abbey. There's still a lot of tension with her and Rowena and the other she-seers. And she's basically saying, you know, you guys aren't doing anything. You guys are, you've been made to, to kill Faye and you're just, hiding at the abbey and she's not letting you fight and you need to be fighting and um there's all the stuff with the library going on and oh we learn about the prophecy oh yeah there's prophecies (laughs) yeah plural yeah um but yeah so so later in the book she finds out that Vlaine has been kind of watching out for her parents uh, since the the wall came down and he got, you know, the power back on in, in Georgia and she says, you know, I want to see her. Does he ask her, do you want to go see your parents? And she says, yes. I can't remember how it goes down. He, goes, he takes her there and then she looks around and she realizes where they are. Right. Okay. And so I'm she's like, like might she's, ask her, but yeah. Yeah. She's going to just walk in there and see them. And he's like, wait, you know, you might not want to do that. Yeah, You're she's all like, like covered in like unsealy goo and she's yeah. Mac 2.0. She looks a little, she looks a little hot messy. Um, yeah. So she's might just, be traumatic for her parents. Yeah, so she decides she's just going to eavesdrop on, or peek in on them. Which I cracked up, like, the entire world has changed. There's now, like, fae everywhere. Like, a third of the population has died. And Mac's still like, I don't know, my parents see me all hot messy like this. That might really just break them. (laughs) Like, that's going to be the thing that really gets in their heads. (laughs) Right? It's a little self-involved. Yeah, which she always is a little bit. Like, you know, it's no surprise at this point. Yeah. But yeah, they're on the like, they use a word that I never knew, like kukai or something. I don't know. But it's like basically like the back patio, like a fancy way of saying it. Maybe it's oh, a lanai. Lanai. There you yeah, go. Yeah, that's a I southern thing. <laughs> I didn't know the term. Um, but yeah, they're, they're basically just screened in porches that people that ha- have to have in the south because of all oh, the mosquitoes. Bugs. Okay. Yeah, so they have them like put out. over their pools outside when they have pools and stuff so that they don't 
house. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. So it's sort of like a sunroom here in the Pacific Northwest where you want to be able to enjoy the warmth like even when it's cold. 100% West Coast. I'm like, what's this thing? <laughs> I don't know. But they're on it. They're, they're I hadn't heard of them before chatting. either until I lived in Florida for a little bit. Okay. Um, You're chatting yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, chatting on the lanai. Um, she hears him talking to her mom about this prophecy that whoever they adopted her and her sister from told told them. Um, there's something wrong with her and that she's going to doom the whole world. So that's the first we're hearing about that. Yeah, and that's an interesting. I think I like that because it also plays into um, once we get to know Ryan a little more and he has this chat with Mac where like, you know, you might not be the good guy. Like you don't really know. Um, and then this is like a, kind of like that that moment where you realize, oh, wait, what if like Mac isn't the hero of this story? Like what if she is kind of like the doomsday which right not the solution to the problem but the problem itself right like we spent so much of the, the first three books like looking for all the problem characters right or the people that were going to be a threat to mac or you know a threat to bring the walls down and now that's all happened um and so now we realize like well maybe maybe mac actually plays a larger role in this demise than we thought so yeah, and you bring up Ryden, and I I know you mentioned it earlier, but <laughs> yeah, that's another that's another pretty important thing that happens in this this book is that finally we we get to meet the nine, some of them, yeah, um, and we get to go to Chester's, right, which I love, like yeah, I think we had even talked about that, like when we were reading the other books, like why aren't we at Chester's yet? Like when does Chester's yeah. come into play? Because it's such a big part of the universe. Right. And what is Chester's? It's an underground, like it's underground now because everything got demolished and blown up. Um, but it's like kind of hidden underground and it's levels of this club, like, which there's this, you know, I mean, there's dancing that happens there, but I have a feeling it's a bit of a sex club. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it's a safe place for Faye and humans kind of intermingle. Um, there's not really, I mean, it's not really a safe place for humans. No. It's, a safe it's place just for Faye to be Faye, right. yeah. <laughs> but, Which I find that really, really interesting, and I still don't know that I entirely understand why. Why? Because if you're dumb enough to go hang out with Faye and want to, like, you know, get it going on to this promise of immortality, then you deserve to die. Basically, is the logic. But why is Ryden like making that life accessible? They never That's really explain that. Like what's, no. even though we learn more about him and, you know, spoiler, he like pretty much gets his own book later on. Yeah. Um, yeah, he does. I don't, yeah, I still don't like necessarily understand what Chester's is for him. I mean, but I, I guess that like he's a businessman and this is a good business opportunity, but like, I don't know if Ryden functions that way. Like does Ryden need money? Probably not. Maybe yeah. it keeps him more like it. It kind of contains all the players for him, so he can see them all. And I don't yeah, know. I mean, one one interesting way to look at it would be that the fair are going to do what the fair are going to do. Yeah. But if you know, they're get be they're able to do it in the club because those people have come in and they've put themselves at risk 
And that's better than just having them unleashed out in the world where their victim could be somebody more unsuspecting. Right. I don't know. I kind of like, okay, so when you said that, it made me think of that, like, I don't know if you ever heard this growing up, but there'd always be those one parents that were like the cool parents and they would let everyone come over and drink alcohol. And they're like, uh, thought process was well the kids are gonna drink anyway so let's have them do it safely under our roof yeah <laughs> and yeah. they can kind of control the debauchery mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know if this is his way to be able to control uh, yeah I mean that's to. that's yeah that could be it completely yeah um, and there is a weird thing where like everything is glass and everything is monitored so like the riotin knows all basically like he can see everything so like you know there's no there's no dark corners there they're all exposed you know which that's kind of um that's probably someone's fantasy as well man that's some proper voyeurism there so (laughs) for sure i'm sure there's a floor for that (laughs) there's a floor for everything at chester's um but yeah so she and she and danny go in there and they see all this shit going on and they go to take their weapons out right they get separated kill them yeah (laughs) basically like they're kind of both confiscated by the nine and brought up to the office and and riot and we get to meet him in the flesh finally um and we learn a little bit about the rules of chester's um you know you can't kill faye and if you do, they'll kill you, essentially. It's yeah. Neutral. And it is a moment where we get to see, like, you know, Mac and Ryden have a conversation and you understand that Ryden knows all about Mac and Barron's has definitely talked about Mac. Like, so, like, there's that, like, girl crush side of me that's like, oh, his best friend knows all about me. <laughs> <laughs> and you do, you see that. Like, you know that, like, Barons is invested in Mac because he's shared things about her with like his group of guys, right? Um, and he he I think that's when he mentioned something about like Barons believes you're a warrior. I'm not convinced. Um, so you kind of start to see like that she might play a bigger part in this group of nine, right? And um, Brandon is just dreamy. Like I. <laughs> I shouldn't say these things because it once again it's like girl what are you into like he's dreamy because he has no feelings and he's very like logical about everything um and yeah but he is and I love that about him I mean he's very cut and dry mm-hmm. um you know I think I don't know if it's in this scene but it's later on where I've mentioned this before like one of my favorite things is when he's like hey you know there's all these waves out here you got to pick the wave and ride it like is Baron's going to be the wave or not like figure it out and I love that about him yeah, well, and I think it's really interesting to meet him after meeting Barons because mm-hmm. I feel like all of a sudden Barons becomes much more emotional. Right? No, Barons seems like he's like overflowing in feelings compared to Ryden, which is kind of, you know, silly. Well, and I think it's really interesting too, and you had mentioned this um, in a previous episode when we were talking about how Barons likes his things. Um, you know, he's got nice clothes and nice mm-hmm. furniture and nice cars. Um, and maybe that being like um, a part of what helps him keep his mask on. Um, but I think that you get more of a 
Ryan really is civilized and <laughs> Baron's is more led by his emotions um, and kind of uses those things to help frame it in his own mind about what, what being civilized looks like. They're like mm -hmm. parameters that kind of help him in a way that I don't, it doesn't seem like Ryan, Ryan needs as much. Yeah. No, and she makes a mention about like looking into Ryden's eyes and they're like clear. And she's like, he has like, I'm, this is terrible. This is not exactly what there is said, but like basically, like he has no qualms about the decisions he makes or who he is. He's completely comfortable with everything that he is. Um, and I really, I loved that. <laughs> you meet back up with Inspector Jane. And you yeah. learn about the Guardians, which are the new kind of police force of Dublin now that the walls have fallen. Um, and they are, you know, trying the best that they can to kind of take the city back from the Fae, even though they are not capable of killing them. Um, right. And we we get kind of a run-in of, of Inspector Jane and the Guardians, and they're trying to shoot down a hunter. Right. And they see that Mac and Danny have the spear and the sword and they learn that those weapons can kill them and there's all of a sudden this i don't want to say animosity between them but there's this power struggle all of a yeah. sudden of jane thinking well you know we need those weapons and that kind of is is setting the scene of things to come possibly right. Which I'm like, of course he, yeah, he does need those weapons. Like he's like the self-appointed guardian, guardian of Dublin. Like he needs a weapon that's actually going to kill what he's hunting. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but I think that he is evolving and will continue to evolve into a really interesting character, right? In the world too. We don't really get to see. I think that might be the only time he's in this book. Right. And he's interesting, too, because he's still like, you know, um, Danny and Mac, they're she sears. So they're a little they're not just human. Right. Jane's just human. Like he's just a guy, you know. Yeah. He's eating some unsealy to like so that he can see the silly and unsealy. But um, like he's kind of that human element and kind of what would humans do if this was their new reality? And it's mm -hmm. he, he chooses to fight, you know, to save the world as much as he can. So kind of a cool character you see more of the hunters in this one which i i think is cool yeah. i still i still can't figure out what the hell they look like but you they're more, they yeah it kind of changes from yeah. scene to scene for me yeah because when they first introduce the hunters they say like they look like the stereotypical devil but then like in this scene you get more of this idea of like leatherly leatherly <laughs> leathery <laughs> wings um and kind of more of a beast shape right like mm -hmm. Like, I don't see them standing upright. I see them horizontal. Yeah, yeah. I don't see them standing upright Which either. I actually, I... is a vertical character, right? <laughs> like... That's true. Yeah. I highlighted a passage where they talk about them. It says, since time immemorial. I think I had that passage highlighted. Seems weird. Too. Uh, they have hunted and killed she-seers, enforcers of fey law and punishment, mercenary to the core, 
they work for whoever whoever pays them with whatever it is they want most at the moment. They flip sides constantly. They have telepathic abilities and can get inside your skull and twist you up on yourself. To make matters worse, they chill you to the bone and look like the devil himself come for your soul. Yeah. They're the big bad. Yeah. In the sky. <laughs> They've got great leathery wings, forked tails, talons as long as my spear, and eyes that blazed like furnaces from hell. <laughs> There's a parallel between them because they're mercenaries and mercenary is always what she calls barons she uses it kind of against barons Mm -hmm. and like and the nine in general like she just is always throwing that term um and she mentions like i don't know if it's this book but um some of them are less bothered by that term but that definitely hits a chord with barons who doesn't like being called a mercenary um but yeah she loves that word i don't know why this idea of a mercenary is such a active one in this book or series um it's like going to that you have no side yeah yeah exactly no loyalty you can't be trusted you'll flip for whoever you know can give you what you want yeah i think that idea really bothers her right and i think it's her greatest like obstacle to get over because it's what keeps her from like being open and trusting people that can potentially help her because she's so sure that anyone at any time could flip or could actually not be like, you know, she's very much like, you got to take care of yourself, which I think is a good life lesson. But I also think you need to know when to open up and take help when help is being given. Right. Well, and I think, you know, maybe, maybe more to the point too, like we all have that mercenary quality in us. Right. I, I don't necessarily think it doesn't mean that you can be trusted just because you are also going to look out for what's best for you. She kind of does that. Yeah. She plays, she's playing all the sides. She totally does. That's why she bugs me. (laughs) You brought up, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say you brought up the dark pool. I was going to talk about that a little bit more because I think this is the first book where she mentions that. Uh, yeah, the, the the dark pool inside of her, which she assumes is like a she-seer thing where she gets her power and she thinks all she-seers must have that same dark pool of power that... I don't know, she doesn't go into it too much in this book, I don't think. No, just a little bit. Um, but yeah, I... I highlighted that too she says you know abruptly the street faded and I was inside my own head staring down into a a huge black pool was this the source of what made a she seer this vast obsidian lake I'd never seen it before when I'd gone poking around was I so much stronger now that I could see more clearly probe more deeply um so basically it's the idea that she's got this kind of well, pool, I was going to say well of power inside of her um, Mm -hmm. where she can kind of access her powers that she's got. And she's not sure if maybe she's got more powers in there than she's even kind of consciously aware of at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, what it means that she's, she's gotten darker. And so now that she's 
you know, able to to kind of get there quicker or access that pool. Access it, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think I, I remember when I first read this, I was just like, oh, you know, it's like your inner knowing. We all have that, like that random, that voice that knows things. Not even that voice, just that like gut. Sixth sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I just kind of assumed that that's what this dark pool was. But then it's mixed with a little bit of like, you know, she see her power and whatever. So <laughs> it's a little more magical. <laughs> yeah, but that's, you know, that's something that I think comes back into play later on in the series too. Yeah. Oh, and then that one thing that stood out to me in this book that I like, and it's also confusing, is you you meet dreamy-eyed guy again. So that guy that she met in the beginning. Did we talk like, about him? I think we might I couldn't remember if we did. Yeah, so like in the very beginning of the series, like she's just, you know, Mac 1.0, wandering around, being pretty in pink. And like, she meets this guy and she's like, oh, he's really like, he's super cute. He's dreamy eyed guy. Right. And then she makes a point of talking about him later on, how like that is a life that she has to give up. She doesn't get to have that life where she just flirts with the cute guy that's at Trinity College. And, you know, maybe they go on and make babies or whatever. But he comes back into the picture um, and he's working. He's a bartender at Chester's. But he's different now. Like he is weird and confusing and he speaks in riddles. And like anytime there's like dialogue between Mac and him, I have no idea what's going on. Like, and I'm like, oh no, girl, you're like, you're a poet. You're deep. You can get this. No, I have no fucking clue what they're talking about. Like, Yeah. And well, and then a really interesting thing happens because you know, he's tending bar and she has a conversation with another patron sitting next to her. Um, and she looks in the mirror and she feels like the dreamy eyed guy is telling her in the mirror not to talk to the person sitting next to her. And then she kind of like looks at him and something weird happens with his face. And so she looks away from the mirror and back to him and then he's just normal and Right. So that's kind of the first inkling of like, okay. More dreamy eyed Yeah, guy. what's going on yeah. with this guy? Which, it cracks me up because the guy that she had used as this like representation of like the normal Normally. life that she now has to say goodbye to, turns out he's not normal at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's something weird going on there as well. So I kind of, I loved that moment because you're like, oh, okay. Like <laughs> nothing is what it seems. Right. I mean, it's kind of reminiscent of when she tries to show Christian her journal mm-hmm. and she's like pr- prepared for him to be all that. weirded out. And he's just right? like, oh yeah, I know what you are. Like, I got, I know all about it. <laughs> yeah. Which Christian is missing still in the book. Yeah. I was going to say yeah. that's probably a good segue to, right. um, yeah. So, you know, we, we get through all of this, basically this whole book is like, Mac being Priya, Mac getting fucked out of being Priya, Mac having a tizzy fit all over town. Running away she from Barons. See Barons, <laughs> and then she's a whole lot of the middle chunk of this book is spent in that power struggle between her and Rowena for, yeah. you know, who the she seers are going to listen to, and Vlame popping um, in and giving her a little more details about world and the fairies right oh and one thing that's really interesting that we should have mentioned is that vlaine is at the abbey when she goes back there he's with rowena 
and Mac is immediately distrustful of that. Um, and he just kind of explains it away as saying, you know, it, it, I knew you were going to come back here essentially. And so it was important for me to, to kind of align myself with them so that I could help you. Right. Um, which I don't know. I don't know about that. Blaney. Yeah. Don't know about that Blaine. I mean, this book, he's definitely like, I feel like he's a little more aggressive of like, Hey, like, I like you. We can help each other out. Pick me. Like, he's just like, you know. Yeah, trying to give her the the reasons why he's a better wave. Yeah, <laughs> to exactly. Ride. Why he's the wave that she should ride. And um, I feel like he's kind of uh, up in the ante a little bit because now... She wrote Now down. she's been with Barons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. physically, she's given herself to Barons. And in yeah. Blaine's mind, that's like that's going to be a hard thing to kind of overcome to like right. that, that sort of means like Barron's has won. Yeah. And well, and Blaine says something too about like, he, he loses that maybe his plan was to save her as well with his penis. <laughs> All these men trying to save her with their, his, with their penises. Um, but Barron's beats him to it. Yeah. And so now I think that's why he's like, Hey, Hey, I've got a good wave. You can ride as well. Come on. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And another thing that's funny is in, in learning more about Danny, like she's got a huge crush. Well, I love on that part of her. Blaine and Barons, and is like, I'm going to give my virginity to one of those guys. Yeah. One of the, like when I get yeah. older and Mac just having like big eye rolls about that. Right. Um, but then but I love 13 and 14. I know. Like, yeah. That guy's cool. going to get my virginity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is really cute. And then Mac, Mac really, uh, they, their relationship is an important one because Mac was always the little sister. And I think with Danny, like Mac has now become the big sister. Right. Um, and I think that that is very healing for her and yeah. part of her like journey that she's on with, with grieving the loss of her sister. Um, but I do really love that one part where... Um, Max telling telling or no Danny's telling Mac about when Barons comes to the Abbey to get her and saying that you know oh you should have seen the way he looked at you like he looked at you like it was his birthday and you were a piece of cake, cake. or something yeah like I don't think I'm like he doesn't like cake like <laughs> yeah don't even get me started right. on that you made him cake <laughs> the ceiling got it I thought that that was also kind of a weird thing to say <laughs> because like shouldn't he have been more worried i don't know like he shouldn't be like craving her like a yeah slice of something he enjoys mm -hmm. he's supposed to be like breaking her out of the abbey with all of his you know big beefy sidekicks so it's a yeah. little strange but you know barons is a little strange it's okay <laughs> barons is a lot strange but in all the right ways in my opinion. We already digressed. Christian is missing, guys. Right. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. He's missing since the walls went down. And him and Barons did some freaky deaky ritual. Yeah. And dark magic. Dark Baron's druid magic. Stuff, as usual. And he's the one that tells Mac this. He says, you know, Christian's missing. 
Um, I don't know where he went. Uh, he disappeared on Halloween when the walls came down. Walls, yeah. Singular. Um, Which is yet another opportunity for Mac to be like, yeah, where were you? Like, why weren't yeah, you, like, you the were there? You weren't there to save me. We didn't even mention that. Neither Barons or Vlaine save Mac from that. It's Danny. Oh, yeah, right. The That's Danny a that big saves part. Her. That's why she's at the Abbey. Mm-hmm. Danny yeah, Danny zooms in or what does she call it? She goes goes mega. Mega speed. Or... <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, saves her from the princes and the Lord Master and whisks her off to the Abbey where she, really she was just going to fucking die. Oh, yeah. They put wards up to protect her from the princes, and then somebody traitor in the abbey covered like, the wards. Well, covered them up so that the Seely prince was was actually able to sift in. Yeah. Oh, and the, but and then, then Danny killed Danny him. Killed him. <laughs> yeah. So we lost him. one. Yeah. So there's only two, and a mystery. Maybe three. Yeah. Uh, Seely. Unseely princess. Oh, yeah. This is another thing that comes up in this book. Sorry, I just was looking at my notes. Um, he mentioned something. So she thinks that he spiked the orb, you know, that let all the shades out in the abbey. And then they're talking. He's like, I didn't spike the orb. I got it from an auction. I could have sworn he stole that from Malouche, like at the end of when she was in the burn or whatever. And like, I think it was one it. of the stones. Was it a stone? Like Yeah, I because I was confused was this earlier when I was talking about the artifacts and I was thinking the stones were an artifact, not the orb. I don't know. So I think it was a stone okay. that he stole. I was like going to go back and check and then I didn't. So. Yeah, yeah, we didn't mention that. So the orb that Barons had that Rowena said, okay, give us that orb because we need it for Halloween. And she did. And then when they tried to use it, there were a shit ton of shades that came out of it and yeah. overtook the Abbey and killed like hundreds, right? Hundreds. Of yeah. Shaseers. And the shades have really effed things up everywhere. Like they've just killed everything. So Yeah. The wall came down, the power went out, and the shades took over. Took over, yeah. To the point where the other Unseely were kind of like doing what they could say. to get <laughs> rid of them because they were eating they were taking all of their the humans yeah yeah so that's the shades are interesting they're an interesting character that i don't know i feel like when you when this story first started they were like these kind of a major part and then they sort of just fade away and they don't really talk about them as much. Because they take off. Because they like go yeah. out to the country because they did what they were going to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. Like They kind of lose their big bad status. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's plenty of other things going on. Just. Um... Yeah. Yeah. So. So anyways, we didn't really talk too much about the Lord Master, but he he comes around. um after mac she's not gone back to the bookstore yet because she's still mad at baron so she's kind of like sleeping all over in abandoned houses with danny because they've been ousted from the abbey as well um and the lord master finds her there and brings her coffee and tries to basically get her 
over to his side, essentially, by telling her that he can, you know, bring Alina back and you get to learn more about his relationship with Alina and how he felt about her. Right. It turns out the Lord Master truly did love Alina, or so he says. Right. She was going to be his queen. Right. Yeah. And Mac feels like maybe he's being honest, but she still still doesn't know if that means he's not the one that killed her. Um, So, you know, he offers her, he doesn't offer her, but he makes her a deal and he gives her like three days to decide to either come over to his side willingly or, you know, gloves are off. I mean, I guess gloves are already kind of off because he had her raped. Um, Yeah. But he's basically, he's, he's coming for her, willing or not. Um, and so she decides that she is going to tell Barons about that because I think after her conversation with Brian and she's like, okay, fine. Like, you're right. I need to pick a wave. In like, some point she does it. say like, that's it. Barons. Yeah. Barons she says I'm picking Barons, but yeah. she doesn't really. Yeah. <laughs> Stubborn little cuss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stubborn little cuss. Yeah. The Lord Master or one of his goons puts a picture, tapes it to the bookstore door. And the picture is what Mac had left in her parents' mailbox when she had gone for the visit with Blaine, basically saying like, you know, oh, it was a picture of Alina, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a picture of Alina and and Mac had written like a note, like she was happy, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I'll and see you when I can. In her parents' mailbox. Yeah. But then the Lord Master basically delivers it onto the door of Baron's books and baubles. And mm-hmm. uh, it's like, you know, it's a symbolism that he's got her parents. Yeah. And there's instructions, right? On where to, on, go. On where to go and to come alone. Um, and so she kind of hatches this plan with Baron's about how she's going to go and he's going to. It's through the silvers. She has to go through the silvers to get there and, and how he's going to kind of like follow which she's one take she's going through. She's going to take a picture with her phone and he'll see which one she went through, which I still never or have an idea of where she went, but I always thought that was a weird plan. I didn't see it how was. Yeah. yeah. Seems like a lot could go wrong. And I feel like Barron's wasn't really into the plan either. No, he was like, no, you're not he's, going. Sorry. Yeah, he doesn't care about her parents. get over it you know stupid stupid idea but she's really confident that she can make it work Uh, and she's gonna save the day so she goes through the mirror and then what happens oh because he's stacked the silvers and barons was sure he didn't have that knowledge that he wouldn't know how to stack a silver so when we say that it means like you can't see where it's at like usually you look at like a door to a door to a door yeah Instead of just a door to the place. Yeah. Um, and so she ends up being in her living room. She ends up being in her parents' living room in Georgia, but it was through a stacked silver, so there's no direct route for Barons to just follow her in there. And he, she also has the stones, because that was the other caveat in his instruction letter to say, come alone and, and bring the stones. Um, and so she isn't there for very long in the no. living room. 
before Derek wants her to show him the stones. And she's like, I don't want to do that. Like Baron's told me not to, <laughs> to do that. Baron said, don't do it. And he's like, I don't give a fuck what Baron said. <laughs> I want to see the stones. And so she says, fine, I'll show you the stones. And she unwraps them. And then it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really, I always pictured it kind of like a strobe light. I always like then. jello and then you like, you know, hit the jello with your finger and it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And then anyway, the stones do something wrongy. Yeah. And it spits her out of the silver or into yeah. the silver doesn't really explain just takes her out of the environment it takes her out of that environment puts her in another one and where is she the hall of all days yeah yeah where it's gold and there's silvers everywhere i always want to say slivers (laughs) slivers and silvers and they're everywhere so there's many many options where to go next yeah big old choose your own adventure book but you don't because you're in this weird fey land and you're drained and you just kind of get lost in the moment and there's no sense well, and of reality. it's showing you all these comforting memories. Yeah. Like the longer you don't pick a mirror, the more you want to just stay in the stay hall there. because it's showing you all of these comforting, um, good memories from your past. Right. And so she sees like a skeleton on the ground and, and realizes like, oh, I got to get out of here because I can see how you know if I don't pick one of these silvers soon I'm gonna not want to I'm gonna want to just sit down here and live in one of these memories that I'm being which is a really lovely metaphor like you know if you just stay there with your happy memories and don't live your life you're not really living you know and yeah this idea that you gotta let them go and move forward and you know go on your journey so which she does <laughs> well sort of i mean what happens is she just is like looking through all of these silvers and then all of a what sudden is? she sees christian, christian! yay <laughs> you're back yeah and he's like don't come don't come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't come in here like yeah. i'm not doing well right and, like, your face is in a cactus <laughs> but then of course and i love this about mac she's like i've got to go help out christian like I yeah can't. well Let's she knows because she, she sees goes. him she sees him and he looks fine but what he's describing to her is that he's not, not doing well and that what she sees when she looks into the silver isn't necessarily an accurate um reflection of what's going on inside that silver it lies to you so yeah. I can't remember even what she was looking at, but she was looking at kind of this like cool lagoony type place. Yeah, like a tropical thing or something. Yeah. And then he's like, no, it's desert. Like it's, there's no water. There's nothing. I'm in this desert. You're a cactus. I'm, yeah, you're a cactus. There's, I, I'm burnt to shit because it's so hot here and there's no shade and like I have no he's food. He's like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, so she jumps in there. Yeah. Um, and hey, he wasn't lying. Yeah, he was looking rough. Looking yeah, rough. And I always, I don't know about you, but whenever this this part starts, 
I always um, think of Beetlejuice and when they're in that, like they go through that door and then there's the like giant black and white sand creature yeah. smoke that's jumping out and there's sand everywhere. It's every time that's what I see. Yeah, that's, yeah. I think maybe I did too, but I didn't make that comparison, but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So she's got this idea for how to get out of there because, well, first she's like, well, we'll just go back the way we came. Like, which cactus did I go back? Yeah, let's walk through that cactus again. <laughs> but he's like, I guess there's big spikes on the cactus that ha- that are poisonous, so you can't, like, hit into them. Um, and so then she has this other idea, well, I'll just take the stones out again, because that's what kind of got us, got me here in the first place. Um, so that'll spit us out. And so yeah. then you get go through like a little montage of, of them yeah. and like they're kind of going into these other silvers or other layers of fey um, that are all kind of like, ah, not this one, flash yeah, like, again. <laughs> like when they're underwater, right? Or maybe that's the yeah. last one I actually get out of But when they're like just in fire, like it's all these like completely like inhospitable environments that they can't stay in. One has no oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, I think that is the one they stay in that the, they're underwater and then they kind of swim to a shore. Okay. And I think Christian at that point is the one that said, like, stop doing that with the stones yeah. <laughs> because doesn't he say, like, isn't he the one that tells her every time you do that, it's taking you like deeper or you don't, one. yeah, to the unsealy prison. prison. And yeah. like every time you flash them, we're go- basically going like a layer closer and I don't know how many how many levels there are before we're going to be in the prison and then there's no way out of there. Yeah. Because like the unsealy King made them. So they were trying to go back to him basically. Right. Was the, the logic there. <laughs> so they end up staying in this one spot where they're in um, because they're wet and they're tired and they need to kind of game plan what they're going to do. And, and so they end up taking their clothes off which I enjoy, but Mac's all like, <laughs> like shy about it. So she goes over to the other side of the rock. And so they're like kind of talking and not seeing each other. Oh, but wait, I forgot one very important part. Wait, that's is that just... swimming, swimming to shore really exhausts him. Is, exhausts him. And that's all he had left. And so when she gets there, she's like, oh shit, like he's in really bad You're shape. Um, and so she feeds him on Seely. She came, came to, well, she came on our trip that ended her up in the silvers. I can't talk. Anyway, she packed in her backpack. She was prepared for her journey that she thought might happen. Yeah. Yeah. In case she needed some extra superpower, she had packed some jars of unsealy just in case. Um, And so, you know, she sees that Christian is probably going to die um, unless he has some magical healing powers and so she feeds him some unsealy um and it does the trick you know he kind of wakes back up right away and is feeling better uh slash horrified that yeah he's fed her unsealy <laughs> which understandably i mean she i feel like she kind of knows that it's unpredictable right yeah. like she doesn't she doesn't know what affects it's going to have long term. Um, but she really like that's her go to. She really yeah. like kind of whips into that at the drop of a hat if, if something's not going right. But I mean, in her defense, I don't really know what the alternative would have been. 
let him die in peace. Yeah, which, I mean, I think maybe he would have preferred that. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I think it makes it clear that he would have preferred that. But, (laughs) you know, it is what it is. Well, yeah, because, I mean, some weird stuff starts happening to him, like, pretty immediately. Yeah, Yeah. and he thinks it's because that the ritual that he was working on with barons, they invited some kind of dark magic basically they're messing with things that they probably shouldn't have messed with and now he thinks that's why the unsealy is latching onto him in such an unusual way yeah and i think we've talked about this before um when we were talking about the tattoo but basically in order to kind of access those dark powers it requires like tattooing right like is it the blood i'm not really sure or the symbols there's some sort of reason like when you're performing the black magic yeah there's tattooing that's involved it has to do with like blood blood and yeah and whatever you're putting in that ink or whatever because i don't know if it's really just ink um that's doing the tattoo but yeah but we know that like barons has new tattoos that max sees kind of over the course of the series like when she rips his shirt off in that one scene early on she mentions that there's tattoos on his stomach and then i think when they're having their sexy time when she's priya she kind of mentions more tattoos that he has on other places of his body and she talks a lot about his like black and red tattoos and now those are her favorite colors now because they're the colors of her but she calls them like master or something i don't know does she call him master something like that something she worships his perfect cock yeah (laughs) which i think really tickles him (laughs) (laughs) yeah he makes jokes about like i kind of want to keep you this way yeah Yeah. like and i can understand the the appeal yeah i mean Um, i kind of wanted to keep her that way too because i didn't have to hear her go on and on and on (laughs) yeah finally would just pick barons and ride the fucking wave Yeah, then they wouldn't be Mac and Barons. No, it's true. Like a big. I could stand them to be a little less Mac and Barons sometimes, but um, (laughs) but yeah, that's it's you know, yeah, they get on each other's nerves. They get they get under each other's skin. (laughs) Um, But anyways, so yeah, so we see that Christian also has tattoos. Um. And we understand that these are because of the dark ritual that he did with barons. And then kind of the unsealy that he eats makes those tattoos grow and move yeah. and, and spread and start doing kind of weird, weird stuff. Um, but then they have to leave again. And I can't remember why. Is there like a monster that comes or something? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I remember there was like a monster in the water when they threw the she threw he threw the unsealy in there because he didn't want to eat anymore. That's right. And they got um, some something told them they had a distinct feeling that that world that they were on um, wasn't going to be safe after dark, and so they just decided that she's going to flash the stones again to see if they end up in a better spot. Um, and when she does that, she loses Christian. They yeah. lose they lose hold of each other and she ends up um in another spot another kind of outdoorsy spot and she's alone um 
And there's a wild boar coming yeah. at her. And she's got to try to defend herself from the wild boar. And part of her doing that is she says, okay, fine. Like, I'm going to take this phone out, Barons. You told oh, me. We forgot to talk about my favorite part in the entire book. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> you reminded me when you brought up um, Barons and the phone. I can't find it. But basically, they're they're discussing things and she's saying, you weren't there for me, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, we've talked about the phone and the different Ackermans, right? Yeah. Um, and he says, you didn't, like, what about IYD if you're dying? She's like, there was no service. Like, the cell towers were down, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you didn't even try. It, basically, the fucking phone worked. It would have worked all along. But she lost hope and she just assumed that, he, you know, no one was coming well, to rescue her. Well, she did try him and riot in. And it didn't she work. didn't try if yeah, she she, Yeah, that's true. She didn't. But that, that part where he just says, like, you didn't even try, I, it guts me every time. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't know. It's just like, it's just his like subtle way of being like, you, you know, you little baby yet again. Yeah. I keep telling you I'm the one that's going to keep you alive and you, you just won't believe in me. Um, so that part always really gets me. Yeah. But she tries this time. <laughs> yeah. And then she kind of immediately regrets it because... She realizes that, oh, I probably could have handled this on my own. <laughs> probably handle a boar. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in any event, she calls it, and all of a sudden, this beast, this new monster, takes out the boar for her. Takes That's out nice. the boar for her. Um, yeah. You know, she of course she thinks at first that see it didn't work, nothing happened. Like I called it. I think she calls it like two or three times and nothing yeah. nothing happens. And then all of a sudden there's this new monster and it's even worse than the boar, and she's like, fucking great. Now, you know, I don't have anything. And, you know, he killed the pig pretty savagely. And so she kind of runs off while he's the beast is busy with that and uh, she loses the stones, though, because I think she drops them or something when she's dealing with the boar. And so she comes back, and they're gone. And then the beast is there, and she sees that the beast has the stones, like, tied to his tusks. His tusks. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 like, he, so he's, like, he's got these, like, tusky things coming horns, out everywhere. Horns, I guess they are. Horns? Yeah. Yeah, and, like, leathery, gray skin. Then it's black at, at night. Mm -hmm. At night, but he gets the darker. Ultimate predator. Yeah. Like, but at night, it turns, he turns black, and he has, like, red eyes. I think during the day, he's, like, gray with yellow eyes. Yeah. He's, but, like, but nine he's feet like, tall. Yeah, which I was like trying to visualize that. I'm like, oh, oh shit, that's tall. <laughs> yeah, I'm always like, I'm five eight. A professional basketball player is like seven something, so nine feet. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. But yeah, so he's like, he like trots around with her or whatnot, right? Like he tries to like She's attack her, following... but he can't. Like he won't. yeah, he's like weird. Somehow she gets a general sense that he's like not gonna hurt her. Yeah. Or she kind of makes the connection after a while, like, okay, I think this is 
if you're dying. I think yeah. this is something this is some that's like summoned by barons to come and, and protect me. And she kind of makes the connection of, no, I don't think she makes the connection. It's her tattoo. Um, but she realizes that he's going to keep her safe. He might want to yeah. kill her, but he can't. Um, He'll kill everything else though in the vicinity. Like he's, this yeah. is a rabid beast. <laughs> right. But then he starts like kind of hurting her. Yeah. To like this one area. And she's like, fucking fine. Whatever. I'm so tired. I'm just gonna like let you hurt me. I don't know what's going on, but this seems like my best bet for safety. And then he like pisses a circle around her. Yeah. It's like whipping it out and peeing a circle around her. (laughs) So she can sleep. And then he just. Greenbow, right? That is kind of interesting because we're always saying how we want, like, you know, we like these stories with these alpha males. I'm like, here's like an actual, like a real, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> alpha male pissing the circle around you to keep you safe. I'm like, that's not hot. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. I, don't want, I, don't I am want... not into water sports, sir. No, Thank you. <laughs> no water sports. No shame Flowers. if you are, but personally, <laughs> it's just not my cup of tea. Right. I gotta say it, that and ass eating. Oh my god, kids these days. Just I know talk about this all the time. They, they talk about the ass eating all the time. Why is this a thing? I don't know. That I don't thing. want anything. Again, no shame. You're no into, shame you're into your it. If you're I both consenting to... people that like to eat ass, like please enjoy yourself. Eat away. I don't want to see it. And I'm terrified that they're gonna start having it in the books <laughs> that I read. I I've had a little ass eating in one oh. of my books. Um, no, I always have to skip over it. Yeah, I think or it was like, like read it with a nose wrinkle on my face. <laughs> yeah, I just, I can't, like, I, I mean, I'm sure everyone, like, poop. Like, you can't yes. not think about poop. I can't. I sure can't. Yeah. Nope. No, thank you. I don't Ask. know. Lisa. I mean, maybe we just need to try it. Like, no. Maybe we're missing <laughs> out. No butts, no feet. Those are my. No feet? No flies. On, no, no feet. I have a weird foot thing. I don't, like. People touching my feet and I don't want to touch. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. uh, Yeah. I'm not that scared of feet. We'll put it that way. (laughs) I just don't like them. Huh. Okay. I mean, I like having my feet rubbed, like just a massage, but I don't need them. It's not related to sex. Please don't try to suck my toe or I would likely just kick you in the face. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've really had to like, no, 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 out of that situation in the past. Like someone tried to suck your toe and you're like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh. I had to to decline. It reminds me of that one episode of Sex in the City where the guy keeps trying to get her to eat his ass. (laughs) He keeps like, like like popping his butt up in her face and all of a sudden and she's like trying to like kiss away from it and then the butt just keeps coming up in her face and all of a sudden she's like I don't want to do that (laughs) (laughs) I think about that every time (laughs) okay so if you're reading a book and there's like an ass eating scene are you like this is I'm not gonna be I haven't run into it yet but would that be a deal breaker I would probably just skip through kind of like 50 shades of gray where you just like skip through all I've never read it what i know i've never oh, read it i'm yeah it's something um <laughs> i'm sure i'll get her well i don't know 
I, I always said I was sure I'd get around to it eventually, but I still haven't. So I don't know if I will. Maybe we'll read it for the podcast. At some. It's not paranormal, though. No. Yeah, so don't make won't. me read that again. No, it's not paranormal. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, it's not. Well, genre. it is. It's Twilight fan fiction. Well, yeah, but it doesn't count. Because there's nothing paranormal in the world. No, there isn't. Yeah. It's right. just well, your bottom barrel BDSM. <laughs> Oh, all right. But anyways, where are we yeah. at? Back to There's the peace. <laughs> Back to the peace around Mac. Yeah. <laughs> Pissing and sleeping and eating. Oh, and then there's all these other like creatures coming out and they're around her circle and he just comes in and fights them off. All. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in the morning, all of a sudden, Ryden's there. Oh, hello, Ryden. <laughs> he's, he's there to help save her. He's like, be quiet. Don't make a sound. We're going to get out of here. Yeah. And I think he's the one that actually tells her that it's her tattoo that's keeping her safe. Yep. Um, But it won't keep him safe because he doesn't have a tattoo. He's not going to let Baron's tattoo him. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that Um, could be a good scene. Baron's tattooing Riot in. Yeah. Riot tattooing Baron's. (laughs) There's probably some fan fiction out there. I'm sure. (laughs) Um. But the beast comes. The beast, he's not quiet enough. And so then Mac oh, yeah. is watching them fight the beast and Ryan. Look out, Ryan. He's like, that's my pea circle treasure. <laughs> yeah. He's protecting her from any threat. And he sees Ryan as most definitely a threat, another alpha. Yeah. And he's kind of starting, like, they're they're fighting a lot. And Raiden's getting some, like, significant wounds where, like, Max, like, shit, I need a something. This is going to go down. Like, I, I got to help out here. Yeah, like, the part. beast has helped me, but Raiden is is actually going to be able to, to communicate with me and get me to safety. And I don't really know what's going on with this beast. I don't know yeah. how much I can trust it. Right. Um, but she's definitely having, like, a mixed mixed emotions about you know taking the beast out or you know her hurting the beast yeah um been her protector yeah uh but you know she's she's picked another wave and she's picked riotin for the time being because that's who's there to help her so she ultimately ends up stabbing the beast with her spear and yeah. killing him well, she distracts the beast with the stabbing and then Raiden guts him with a knife. Right. But then in the process, Raiden ends up getting thrown off the side oh, of the cliff. Yeah. So she's like, fuck. Now I've killed the beast. Raiden's <laughs> gone. And then she's looking over at the beast and the beast is starting to change. He's melting his, his, whatever, those horn things are melting away. Mm-hmm. And the end. <laughs> she sees somebody that's a familiar face. We and know yeah, that. And she's it like, becomes... oh, fuck. I thought I lost everything. Dun, dun, dun. And then Jessica throws her book across and the I room in 2014. Yeah. <laughs> whenever this yeah. came out. Oh, my God. I think it was like... <laughs> 10 years ago 
Yeah, probably. But I threw my Kindle. It's the one and only time I've ever thrown my Kindle. But that also speaks to why this is my favorite book. That is an amazing ending, right? Yeah. And like, this was before cliffhangers were like kind of common. Like now I feel like every freaking book ends with a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And then this is a pet peeve of mine, actually. People put out these trilogies, but the books are all really, really short. And it could totally be one book, but they want to have a book one with a cliffhanger and a book two with a cliffhanger and then a book three that wraps everything up. And I'm like, but this was one of the first times I got like a really like impactful cliffhanger, which I guess like the the book before kind of had a cliffhanger, but not like this because of course, no, you're like, not like, is it? yes, who is it? I mean, you, you know who it is, but there's no confirmation or you suspect you who suspect it is. that it is Baron's like, it's gotta be right. Yeah. Who else would it be? Well, I mean, I did. I, I like. I remember thinking that it could be Christian because he was already mm, like mutating. That's true. That's and maybe true. he mutated into this beast. But she doesn't have like a that much of a relationship with him yet. Where yeah, like it's melodramatic. Be, yeah, that's true. <laughs> she is that. She is that. She is that. But yeah, that's how it ended. And yeah, like this book is so frustrating to me because it is my favorite because so much happens. But then also like there's so much that doesn't happen. Yeah, it is a strange book in that way because you get so much information. But again, like the whole, I don't even know how it's like 25%. The first 25% of the book is like nothing is really happening except for Mac being Priya. And then you get these little jaunts with, uh, um Danny kind of telling you what's going on in Dublin since yeah. the walls came down. And it's so crazy because like, you know, these books, they all kind of fit a formula, right? There's this slow burn and you wait and you wait and you all well, sometimes you're slow burn. Sometimes they get right to it. But like you want that moment. You want that grand hurrah. They're finally they're finally getting together, you know. And this book, it opens with it. It gives you exactly what like you've been wanting, but it's all wrong. And yeah. like and like you said, like the first 25% of it is that, is them fucking. And like, you should be like, yes. But it's just, I don't know. I mean, part of me was like, yes. Like I was into it for sure. But then I was also just felt like this isn't right. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, there's something about it ultimately that's still unsatisfying. Yeah. Because it's still not about Matt admitting. You still have to doubt Baron's motivation for it because you know he's obviously there's a big part of him that's doing it as a necessity and it's also like mac's not really mac it's not it's not really consent which is again why i understand why people have an issue with that because it is it is rape in a sense but again it's a very like specific fantasy problem in a made-up world where this is truly the only solution besides death and i think i can see with the utmost certainty that mac would have rather lived yeah so absolutely and then there are moments in it too like it isn't just them fucking like they talk about how like he's just put up pictures of all of her good memories all of her family all over the room he's gotten her all these different nail polishes like he's trying to bring like the rainbow girl christmas in he brings a christmas tree like this is the guy that threw a birthday cake and like got all pissy about it like so like he is really making this effort like it's very clear that he's trying to let her come back 
and trying to heal her and save her. So and it, even it kinda, telling her no, even saying yeah. like, I'm not going to fuck you. Like you have yeah. to eat, like you right. have to eat this yeah. food or I'm not going to give you what you want. Yeah. You have to look at these photo albums. You have to let me call you Mac. You have to call me Barons. Yeah. And I do love that scene where he's like asking her questions. Like he, she's always complaining. Like he always asks me questions, but I answer them. So then I can ride his cock. But like at one point she's, he's like, what did you wear to your prom? And she's just like, oh my God, I had the same dress as blah, blah, blah. And it was red, red. And like, you know, like Matt comes back for a second. And like, that was a really like, it was a cool moment where you're like, oh, here we go. Like Mac's back. And then she pretends that she's not, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, who wouldn't? (laughs) And that does speak to like that kind of like, you know, because we said like, it's problematic. And, And you do see the side of Mac where like, you realize like she, she wants to continue this dynamic of what's happening in this room even when she does know yeah and I mean I think that's like part of how why it's so difficult to kind of face him again or know how to behave again because it's like now all of a sudden I have to figure out how I feel about you now I have to figure out if I want this to change or if I want to pretend it never happened right and then there is a we didn't really talk about this but you know in exchange for not being priya for the fae she's basically priya for barons at this point yeah so she's still oh, yeah. like who has this power over her now um kind of like the fae princess had but now it's in baron's hands which we much rather have it in baron's hands because you know even we don't trust him completely we like him a little bit more you know true <laughs> yeah well and yeah now she's immune She's immune to those death by sex fae and she's immune to Baron's voice because he told he taught her how to do voice. So Mm -hmm. we I think we figure out in this book that she knows how to do voice now. She does. Yeah, she actually does it when she's with the beast, right? Like she's trying to like force him to do stuff. And Fibra's like, oh my gosh, I just did voice. Yeah, but he didn't react to it. Well, because he taught her. <laughs> like, yeah. If it is who we think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know what else comes out? You mentioned voice. Um, the Lord Master, or whatever, admits that Baron, well, doesn't admit, he tells her Baron's taught him voice and a lot of the dark arts stuff that he knows. You know, Baron's was his mentor, which is kind of another layer of like, oh, wait. Like, Baron's had yeah, his hands Baron's in that. Yeah, Baron's never too. told me that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that that's that book. And yeah, like I said, I love it and I hate it. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, should we get to the some reviews? Okay. So this is a positive review. It says, after the mindfeck ending of Fae fever, fever, which this is way more of a mindfeck ending, but I ran and dove, not walked into dream fever. Let me just say that this was by far the best in the fever series so far. So she agrees with me. I was definitely impressed by the growth and understanding of all the characters and love the woman that Mac is turning into. Mac 4.0, well, she rocks in this book. Gone is a lot of pink Mac, but she's becoming a force to be reckoned with. And I chose this one because there are, like, I agree. Like, I think this is a great book. And I think it's great because kind of like she mentions the growth um, and the, like, development of the characters but I don't love this Mac, which I've made perfectly clear. Um, And this kind of spoke to what I was saying before. Like a lot of people, this is where they started to like Mac. And I kind of had the opposite reaction. I'm just like, oh, like 
you know, Mac, Mac plays goth. Like this is dumb. Um, so it was interesting that like people that, you know, also appreciated the character development didn't, you know, you don't know what I'm saying here. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I do know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. All right. I picked one from Goodreads. Um, it was written seven years ago. It was actually two out of five stars. Um, but I picked it because it, it goes into some of the problematic parts that we're discussing. Um, she says, I have a problem with people finding abusive, vile love interest characters sexy. A prime example is Fifty Shades of Grey. Honestly, I couldn't give two shits if you love that series. Doesn't bother me at all. People have different tastes and it isn't my place to tell you what to enjoy or not enjoy. Just the idea of me issuing a decree about what people should and shouldn't like is complete and total bullshit because art is art. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Which then, you know, she pretty much goes on to contradict herself. Um, kind of contradicting herself. <laughs> yeah. Um, by saying rape, there is a lot of rape, attempted rape, and mind rape in the series so far. Personally, I don't think this author could handle the subjects she was trying to talk about. She brushed them under the rug, which means that all of her characters also brushed them under the rug. The male love interest regularly mocks the woman he loves, in quotation marks, about being gang raped. This is the man ladies are pining after. He tells her it was her fault for not calling for help. He jokes that she shouldn't be kissing Faye because she's had enough Faye in her mouth recently. He says that she seems perfectly fine for having been gang raped recently and continues to humiliate her by bringing up all the times when they had sex together when she was basically drugged. Um, when she tells him that he raped her too, which he did, the equivalent of roofies, he tells her that it wasn't rape because she didn't crawl away, she walked away. You guys, this is fucking disgusting. These are the things we talk about when we call out rape culture. These are the things that happen in real life, and it isn't quite so fucking sexy when a 15-year-old girl is being told um, that she can't have been raped because she was drinking. Seems like she wanted it. Seems perfectly fine now. Didn't call for help enough. This is a fucking problem. It also bothers me greatly that a gang rape was used to change the main character. This is a thing that seems to always happen to female characters. Heaven forbid they be strong women just because. Nope, something terrible and sexual has to happen to them to make them better. Um, and in the case of the gang rape, Mac literally gets superpowers. I don't know, if, is that true? Blaine even tells her the rape was probably a good thing, and wouldn't she do it all again if she could? She is raped so much that all she does is have sex for months, and the first time she sees anyone since getting gang raped, they all tell her how amazing she looks. Do I need to go on? <laughs> I think I've may maybe touched on all the nasty shit that happens in this book at the point. At this point. She's not I'm wrong. Like, yeah, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. Um... I guess the superpowers would be her immunity. Yeah, she's like healing fast too. Doesn't she start noticing that? Yes, she does. Like, yeah. Um. Yeah. Like, I, she's not wrong. Um. Mm -hmm. There is some context missing. Missing there, like a lot of the when Baron says shitty things, they're fighting. He's hurt. Max like prodding at him. You know. 
which I still like that sounds like victim blaming. I don't want to do that in any way, but like there, there is context missing. Yeah. I feel like there is context missing as well. I think that, um, and you don't, it's probably not fair because we're supposed to just be judging this book and not, you know, the series, the full character of Barons as we know him from the entire series. Um, but I think that what he, and he said this a lot up until now is like judging him by his actions, judging him by his actions. I think that Barons is really upset by the way that Mac reacts after she becomes Priya, but he's not yes. surprised because he tells her when she's Priya that there's going to come a time when she hates him more than she can imagine. Yeah. Um, and so he knows like, that she's going to be pissed when she comes out of that. Um, But I think that that doesn't stop him from feeling hurt that. She ran. She ran. Yeah. She doesn't trust him. She still doesn't trust him. Um, And so, yeah, he's being super petty. He's being super petty, which Mm -hmm. is not very characteristic of him because it's not, pragmatic it's not beneficial right. to him in any way to be petty but it's he can't help himself he lets mac get under his skin and he can't like be better he can't be a better person right i guess or a better who whatever he is <laughs> um but i mean no it is true everything yeah. that she says like it's if we didn't have rape culture these sorts of books probably wouldn't exist um and I don't know how to feel about that like I said before I think you know maybe like this should this should be a safe space but I can also see how it can be dangerous for for people that you know maybe have been victims of sexual assault um or like I said are more like younger and impressionable and and are trying to draw comparisons to these relationships and the relationships that they're having in real life. Um, And I probably did that too when I was young. I know. I mean, I certainly had my fair share of, um, you know, emotionally at the very least emotionally abusive relationships. So, you know, that's a fair criticism. Um, yeah, I yeah, don't know. That's where I struggle because, like, absolutely, that's a fair criticism and it makes total sense. Am I going to stop reading these books? No. I couldn't I even them. imagine it. <laughs> no, like, these, they bring me so much joy. I they love do. Them. Yeah. I'm not going to stop reading them. And does that make me part of the problem? I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I mean, and we essentially are promoting them at this point because we're talking about them, you know? So Yeah, but I mean, I want to talk about this stuff too. Like, this is part of why I wanted to do the podcast. Um, Because, you know, it is a very important distinction to make that these are happening in magical worlds. Even more so than just your straight romance books, because those books are supposed to be more of a portrayal of real life. But in no way are paranormal romance books supposed to be real life. They are fantasy worlds with unhuman, inhuman creatures. And I just don't feel like the same 
rules apply. Right. <laughs> well, like, I'll be totally honest. Like, I don't watch porn, but these books are porn for me. <laughs> like they, you know, they're arousing. Like I enjoy them for that reason. So, and other things, but like, I, I mean, are we just not going to make porn anymore? Like, because people are still going to watch porn, but that could possibly, I mean, I'm, there's definitely porn out there with gang rapes portrayed. So like, where is that line? Like, where are we responsible for the material that we're putting out there and how that's affecting society as a whole? That's a great know. question. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Yeah. Um, and as a girl, like, I remember being incredibly young and incredibly attracted to older men. And I don't know if that was society that made me feel that way or if that's just being a young girl. Like, and I, I mean, I'll be totally honest. I definitely had trauma. I did not have a great childhood. Um, I had some happiness in there, but I had some other things as well. Um, and that could have shaped I'm sure, I it did. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. I don't know. How could it not? I mean, I probably liked older men because I loved 90210 and Luke Perry was like 30 something. <laughs> That's <laughs> a great point. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know, like where, so is 90210 responsible for this like culture of like young girls and being, you know, pursued by older men and them thinking that that is an ideal relationship. Like, I don't know. I'm sure it's got something to do with it, but I also think like, it's not fair. A lot of the characters in these books are really strong too. Like, you know, they're, especially in maybe not so much this one because the the story of fever is really about kind of Mac coming into her strength. So she's getting stronger as she moves along, but she definitely, I mean, I think she starts out stronger than she realizes, but you know, she definitely starts out in, in kind of a weaker spot in comparison to some of the other protagonists of, of paranormal romance books of being real, like warrior Mm -hmm. kind of, characters from the get-go um but like any other art like theater or movies I think that part of what they do is they are a reflection of certain things in society like even though this is a magical world um they're still kind of examining issues that that people go through in their life right well like their good I was gonna say like their problems in relationships and losing loved ones and I know I do sometimes think about the authors and I'm like oh what have you been through like you know because like this is their art and I feel like art like you are kind of working through some of the things that you've been through in your life sometimes um yeah I do think that but like I was telling you that I was reading that book um guild that I really liked um and reading it she really captures like what it's like to be a survivor with trauma and not quite know what that trauma is um in a really realistic way like this is exactly what it's like as a survivor um and it was really interesting for me to see that in a book that is like like you're saying it's fantasy it's this imaginary world but there's these things in that that are very real and very true and something that we all can like relate with. Um, And so I think that it actually kind of brings strength to these novels sometimes because, you know, someone that is kind of trying to survive through something can see that and find like a kinship in that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't, I think that there is good that can be done 
with having these books that are discussing like this complicated or controversial material. I agree. And you know, at the end of the day, like he's, it's valid. It's a valid complaint and it, it it's a valid um, reason to not connect to them just depending on where you're coming from. Yeah. And certainly there's a lot of people that I know that don't like this genre for exactly those reasons. Absolutely. And I respect that. Um, but they should respect that I do like it. <laughs> do they not? Where are they? I'll beat them up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I guess it's just important to be aware that it is problematic and understand why it's problematic. But if you enjoy it, read it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I was going to say, don't give them to your younger girls, but whatever. I started reading them when I was like 13. So. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. And so it's, it and is I turned out just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I'm the pinnacle of emotional health. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, this is a conversation that, could go on forever you know like we just don't know we don't we don't know if we were shaped by things like this or society shaped us or if these books are responsible for the reasons that we love them now I don't know like yeah but I can't quit I can't quit I can't no. quit you paranormal romance no I love them <laughs> <laughs> all right well I think that's that's all I've got on dream fever yeah. um the next book in the series is Shadow Fever, book number five. Which um, I was anticipating this book so much when it came out because originally this was the last book of the series. Yeah. And then everything changed. But <laughs> yeah, now we're not even halfway through. No. <laughs> I guess halfway through book five, we'll be halfway through the series. Yeah. There's 11. Um. So yeah, so we'll see you guys next week with book five, Shadow Fever. Um, thank you for listening and please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you've got anything that you want us to talk about or if you have comments or you want to get more into the conversation, you can email us at sexyscarybookclub at gmail.com. Yeah. Is there a podcast? different perspectives i feel like lisa you and i are so similar that sometimes we might not see things that are glaringly obvious to us oh i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure and i'm sure there's some people out there that are like oh god like i totally disagree with everything you're saying and that's fine that's fine. again i love a good conversation <laughs> yeah this is not this is a just a conversation this isn't a review it's not a you know we're right and everybody else is wrong. This is just, you know, the books we like and, and what's going on in them and why we like them. So yeah. anyway, we'll talk to you again next time. Goodbye. Bye.